Hello, and welcome to Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled Brains and Games, and we're interviewing Jody Black, president of Beautiful Brains Books and Games, and her daughters, Bethany and Trinity, who are two fabulous GMing masterminds. In our pop culture segment, we'll talk about last week's episode of the Big Bang Theory called The Reentry Minimization. We'll also share your responses to this week's Twitter and Facebook question. Will the term gamer become obsolete? So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. pop culture segment we talk about the big bang theory our favorite nerdy show has done it again in the re-entry minimization we see two of the show's couples penny and leonard and sheldon and amy on game night they decide to split up boys versus girls and play pictionary as faithful watchers might expect the game doesn't go well for the guys even with sheldon's opening comment I suppose any team that doesn't have me on it is at a disadvantage. So, Rhonda, how do you think Sheldon and Leonard's brains held up? Did they help or hurt them in this episode? I mean, it's an interesting question, but I guess you could say that it, to a, a certain degree it hurt them, mainly because I don't think that they have a cultural or social language. Right. Th- they're... They're super smart, but they tend to have only a context within academia or their field. Right, exactly, where they're not considering their audience, right? This is what I tell my my students as writers all the time, that you have to pay attention to who you're communicating with. So, you know, Sheldon's guessing as they're playing Pictionary, all these like theoretical ideas and concepts, you know, talking yeah. about cork when when Leonard is drawing a cookie, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, there, there's no way that in the Pictionary box it was, you know, some some big theoretical idea that needed to be communicated. Yeah. And in this situation, again, I think you see aside of Penny, where she contextually is more well-rounded. Right, right. Which which I think is just brilliant and, and, and really well done in the simplicity of how straightforward the, the stories end up being told. Yeah. You know, it, at first it may seem like a contrast that Amy is playing well with Penny and she is, you know, one of the super smart one of the brainiac people yeah <laughs> but what we've noticed in the show is that Sheldon shuts down anything outside of himself right Amy is extremely open to being connected with Penny exactly and spends a whole lot of time with Penny and whatever her interests are and so her her context is actually evolving right and and her her skill set is evolving if we if you yes. think about the first episode that we saw Amy Farrah Fowler in, which was the end of the third season, and they met for coffee, and you just see her in the very last scene of that episode in the very end, you know, the uh, season finale. Yeah. They, they're meeting for coffee, and she's very awkwardly handling the situation, very stiff, 
in her body language, like when she goes to meet Sheldon, like how she's holding herself is very stiff. She's very formal in how she sort of holds yeah. his hand, how she shakes his hand and things like that. And when they're standing at the counter to get their hot chocolate or whatever it is that they're going to drink at the coffee shop, she kind of does this little glance up at him. But that's the only indication you get that she's more socially engaged in this than than he is because he'd been totally, you know, set up on this date by the other guys. Amy is looking where Sheldon never looks. Right, right. And she's he, open. Yeah. He said to to the interactions and to the building of friendships and social connections. Well, like you said, the the game doesn't go well for the guys. They lose Pictionary, and then Sheldon. And I just I just have to point out that in the last the last drawing, uh, Sheldon's drawing and Leonard's guessing, and Penny's just sitting there, and Amy is very concerned with the fact that that uh, uh, that Penny isn't drawing yet. Remember. Yeah. I, I love that. She's like, oh, we got time because yeah. it's really fun. You know, she's yeah. really enjoying <laughs> watching them struggle to understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. I, I and, which is <laughs> which is interesting because that's the way she spends most of her time with them. Exactly. She's usually the one who's in the situation struggling to understand the context of what they're discussing. Well, the guys do lose at Pictionary, but then Sheldon's complaint is that Pictionary is not a true test of intelligence and skill. Exactly. But yeah, but Penny and Amy are all game for it's like, okay, whatever, what do you want to play? And so they start debating about what games to play and they argue about what's fair and what's not fair. And what I'm curious about is what do you see represented here from, from that point on in the guys trying to find a game to win and then picking games to play together? What do you see represented in sportsmanship? Well... I see a little bit of priority placed on winning. (laughs) Right. I think, I think the guys are, it's, it's not entirely good natured either. I was going to say it's mostly good natured, but it's not. They're, they're they're irritated with the fact that they haven't won a game. Right. Right. At the end of the night, at least. And so the first thing that Sheldon does is suggest a game that doesn't exist and totally plays to his and Leonard's strengths. Right. Based on physics questions. Right. Exactly. What it was physics fiesta answering physics questions in Spanish. Yeah. And that's what I thought was interesting, too, because this is it's not an unusual process to go through when actually you're you're getting together with a group learning to game for the first time because he mentions physics fiesta. Right. And they eliminate that. And then. Penny suggests darts right. and they eliminate that because they believe Penny has an advantage there. Right. And so they go through this series, but then they finally come across some games. But then again, like you said, the priority is on trying to find something the guys will win. Right. They're, they're trying to, to skew it in their favor. And the interesting thing about the games that follow after Pictionary in Pictionary as they're playing Pictionary, everybody is on a level playing field. Yeah. You know, everybody's playing the same. Penny and Amy are are guessing, are drawing and guessing. Leonard and Sheldon are drawing and guessing. Everybody's doing exactly the same thing, but it's not working. You know, the communication isn't working. Right. Between between uh, Sheldon and Leonard. Like, they, they're just not communicating with each other, which, 
you know, if you watch the episode, as I'm, I'm hoping many of you have, um, it's, it's hilarious to watch them not being able to communicate, but they're all doing it the same way. Now, when they create none of the other games that they play or things that they do in the rest of the episode are sort of quote unquote traditional games. No. Right. They make up the rest of the games. Now, when they, they decide to play Where's Waldo, right? But yeah. they have Amy and Leonard both take their glasses off and play Where's Waldo. Yeah. So they have to search without being able to see. So it puts both of them at a disadvantage to begin with. Yeah. Do we think, are we going to speculate on whether or not that was intended to give Leonard a foot up like are they designing the games trying to make it so that leonard are are leonard and sheldon trying to win the games by by creating these kind of crazy situations that they plan yeah i think uh, no i think at that point the guys are just desperate to agree to just about anything because (laughs) the the where's waldo game is a child's game right and so they have to they have to raise the bar on it, taking right. off their glasses right. to make it something worth playing. And so I yeah, after that, I mean they they put their foreheads on lightsabers and spin around and until spin they're around. dizzy and, and then do like, math. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean they are. I, I can just see the behind the scenes struggle. It's like, right. well, you know, that's not fair. You, you, we, why can't we include some math? And then coming to an agreement, right. Just so the guys can find something that they can win at. Right, right. Like and 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 then. <laughs> The, my favorite of them, I, I love the end. I love the pie eating contest at the end um, because it's just, you know, the, the silliness of it. But I love the wrestling contest. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See, I don't have I don't have any idea how they came to that agreement. Yeah, like I, I know. Right. How do you come to decide to do this? Let's have a wrestling contest between Sheldon and Penny. And then, you know, Penny kisses him on the nose and gets like her lipstick on his nose. And then um, he's like, Amy, help me, help me. And she starts kissing him, too. And, you know, we were were just talking about how much Amy has grown socially. But but I think that that scene really demonstrates how much Sheldon has grown as well. Yeah, which is very hard to see. (laughs) It is. It is really hard to see. (laughs) It's minuscule, but... As the, the their social circuit circle is expanding, mm-hmm. he's having to tolerate a lot that yes. normally he would not tolerate. Exactly. He's really working at that. He's really working at accepting and understanding and working with the people who he wants in his life. And, and it's a long and it's a hard emotional process for Sheldon, which I think is one of the genius things about the show. Had Had they not developed his character, he's a great he started out as a great caricature, right, of the right. crazy scientist. And had they not developed him, had he not had the relationship develop with Amy that pushed him into a more social arena, I don't think we would have our, our interest would have maintained with him. I, I think he, oh, no. he, he would have gotten so stale so quickly. So so showing this and and using something like this game night and the wrestling to show, oh, exactly how much he has changed, because like you said, he agreed to wrestle penny yeah Which, yeah and you know, i was already getting tired of sheldon at, at toward the end of season two uh, the the whole caricature thing i'm like okay he's he's gonna have to show some facets here right or you know he's just gonna be a repeat of just smart aleck comments all the time right right and, and, and centered behaviors yeah and 
it's interesting that if I go back to the the pairing, Amy and Penny and Sheldon and Leonard, I mean, Sheldon and Leonard have known each other for several years. Mm-hmm. And Penny and Amy have not, yet they've developed a social language, but Sheldon and Leonard have not. Right, exactly, which confounds the theory that I had that I talked about in a recent episode where I said, you know, catchphrase was easier for people who knew each other and knew each other really well. Maybe what that really is or what, you know, this is sort of demonstrating is it's really easy for people who quickly learn how to communicate with each other. Or games are easier for people who learn how to communicate with each other or put a priority on that. Yeah, Sheldon doesn't put a priority on knowing Leonard. Mm-hmm. Sheldon's priority is Leonard knowing Sheldon. Exactly, exactly. Oh, beautifully said. And and that that really does sort of define their relationship and the reason why Sheldon is so frustrating to have as a friend <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or to attempt to have as a friend because he's not interested in other people's lives or engaging in those ways. He just wants everything to be to serve him and to serve his sort of greater expectations or whatnot. So he, he it does make him a difficult kind of character to be friends with. If you have any observations about the Big Bang Theory or you want to make a comment on sportsmanship and gaming, we'd love to hear it. You can leave your comments on our blog at GameOnGirl.com. Coming up, we talk to Jody Black, president of Beautiful Brains Games. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Jody Black and her two daughters, Trinity and Bethany. Jody is president of Beautiful Brains Books and Games, specializing in RPG games. Jody is also an editor and member of the Pinnacle Entertainment Group's creative team. She is a two-time winner of the Gen Con Any Award, and we're thrilled to have her and her family with us today. Welcome to Jody, and we're going to start talking right now with Trinity. So, welcome to the show, Trinity. How are you doing today? Good. That's good. So, can you uh, tell us how old you are? Right now, I'm 12. Right now, you're 12. Are you going to be not yeah. 12 soon? About on the 21st of November, I'll be turning 13. Oh, right on. So coming up on your birthday here, not too long. Not yeah. too long. Yeah. Great age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 13 yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. It is pretty good. So what um, what grade would you be in school? Right now, I'm in seventh grade. In seventh grade. Okay. And I'm I'm on the West Coast, so I and I know schools are a little different. Are you in like a junior high or middle school or? Uh, I'm in in middle school. I'm in middle school. Okay. My second year in middle school. Okay, great, excellent. Yeah. See, I was in still in elementary school in sixth grade. Uh, middle school was seventh and eighth grade for us, so things are a little yeah, different. Our, our middle school starts at sixth grade yeah. and goes to eighth grade, and that. Cool. Great. So tell us a little bit about your experiences gaming and what you like to do. I started gaming with the RPG Fairy's Tale when I was about eight years old, I think. My dad first introduced that to us because he knew that both Bethany and I would like it. Um, And after he ran that game, I put together my own game and ran it about uh, maybe a few days afterward. Oh. And they they all liked it. Nice. That was that was the one living on their family with the one with the electric crocodiles and disintegrating boat and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. Throughout the last few years, I've been gaming at a few cons and stuff, running my first game at Mace when I was nine. And that. Wow. I've always liked playing my dad's games and also, and also in the Savage Worlds and, and 
I've even played a little bit of Pathfinder and stuff around too. Nice. So you have a lot of experience with tabletop RPGs. I mean, if you're running your own at nine, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it about that first game that appealed to you so much? What was it you liked so much about it? Um, Truthfully, I liked what I was playing right then. I've playing as the fairy sounded really cool, and I've always liked creating characters for games, even if it is just for fun. Maybe not actually running the game. Mm-hmm. I have maybe a total of ten um, total Savage Worlds characters that I just create for fun. Maybe not even plan on playing, and maybe five or six fairy tale ones. So that's so. part of the fun for you is is creating the the characters themselves. Do you have like a visual in your head of what they look like or do you draw pictures to go with them at any point? But sometimes I, I might draw pictures. <laughs> Truthfully, the um, the best they are might be a slightly better than stick figures at times. <laughs> I'm not too good at the whole drawing people. Yeah, um, I can appreciate that. I do generally have a picture in my head of what they're like, what they might be. I've, like I said, all the all the characters I've created might have a little bit of something in common, but they're all different in ways too. Can you give us an example what, of how they're how they're different or how they're the same? When I'm making the Savage Worlds characters, I like leaning more towards agility and smarts than the strength or vigor mm-hmm. and aspects of their attributes. Um, but so a lot of my characters I make generally have so, an higher a higher attribute in that in common mm-hmm. than than the lower strength, though sometimes I've though I like make though some of them are all though they're all different. Like one I've created is like a movie star, and she has really she's really rich and stuff. Huh. And but and so she is more like in spirit, even though she does have some more starts, smarts and stuff. Okay. Um, but and and another person I've created is like a teen like person who works at a camp or camp counselor. Mm-hmm. And they, and she, but and she has more leaning towards the smarts mm-hmm. and agility, but she also has a little bit more strength mm-hmm. from running around all that. Right, right. So more, a little bit more active maybe than the the other yeah, movie star. They, yeah. So do you write any backstory for these characters? I generally like creating some backstory for them. I'm not really as intended to write it down, mm-hmm. but once yeah. when I created a character for a game that her dad still hasn't run yet, really, um, mom made me bite write. The, a backstory for the character on their backseat of the character page and yeah. I have this one backstory for that character they have written down and stuff Did you like so, that? Was it fun to create a backstory? I do like creating backstories, just create a story for the person on there, mm-hmm. even if I'm not always writing it down, right. but that way it sort of gives me a sense of feel about where the person might have come from or how to better act out the character Right, right, give you an idea of like how they might react in a certain situation yeah, because they might have encountered it before, mm-hmm. and it might be something worth noting down. Right. Do you put very much of anything about yourself into your characters, or are you more into creating something that's completely unique? Sometimes. I do. Most of the time when I'm creating characters for an actual game, I'll make sure each character is completely unique. But if I'm creating a character maybe more for myself, it will be leaning more it will be leaning more towards stuff that I'm that I'm like. Maybe there all there will be more obvious differences, like having hindrances that I might not have or edges that I might not have in the in the world. Mm. But generally when I'm creating a character for myself, it will have an aspect of myself in it. Is there a certain aspect that's important for you to include in those types of characters, you know, like hair color or personality or something that reflects you? Generally, I do like to keep about the personality sort of thing. Um, 
I'll make the the whole hair hair color the their actual appearance might might vary and change around that, but I do like keeping the personality more based on me. Does that make it easier to play? <laughs> it can make it easier to play, but I do like doing the different personalities too, it, because that makes it harder to play or just more fun to play or act out. Right, because then you're, you get to sort of... I, I did a lot of theater when I was younger as well, and I always liked playing the villains or the... Um, yeah, those are fun to play. Yeah, or the secondary I characters. To, I never wanted yeah, like, I get the to play a, I got to play a, a ghost in the play that I'm working on right now, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And all I do is walk around in the background for one part of a scene, uh, but just walk across the stage. But if they do the lighting right on the actual stage, I look like I just appear on the stage. <laughs> and I like freaking out people, and a bunch of people are scream every now and then when oh, I that's scream cool. sometimes. <laughs> so I do the, even if it's not quite the bad guy, the whole the whole getting that out of it it's really cool yeah it's kind of fun when you get to be the the person who gets to you know scare or surprise people now we know you play a lot of games with within your family do you have very many friends that you can game with around my own around my own home we once tried to we have our own we have a game club that we just started up at our school actually that we and we haven't actually gotten to put, play as many games in it because it just started up this year but when we actually get to doing it, we've brought a bunch of board games and card games, a bunch of, and a bunch of other things, and maybe and we'll eventually we'll probably get to doing the role playing games along the year. Mm-hmm. But out of my own friends around there, I definitely have some friends that game, but most of them I see at conventions, and not all of them live in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There are some friends near the cons and. Those can, and those ones I do like gaming with. They have a lot of they're good friends. That, but around my own neighborhood, there aren't quite as many, quite as many ones had. What about the uh, number of girls your age that are interested in gaming? Do you find um, quite a few other girls, or is it mostly boys? In the gaming club we just started, there's actually more. Maybe a sl- it's about equal too, mm. but there's definitely a slight more amount of boys than girls in the in the club. And what do you see at the cons that way? Is it is it pretty even? At the cons, a lot of the friends, people that I'm friends with are are girls I usually play with. Um, and I once brought my Girl Scouts, my Girl Scout troop, to a convention. Oh, to, that's cool. To play out there, yeah. And they all started in the one and my mom's friend Erica's um, Ponyville horror game that she that she ran, and we all played different characters in that that in that game. And they stopped selling cookies that they were selling, and they just put down the cookies and went and joined the game. <laughs> Girl Scout started gaming around there with us. Man, that's so, pretty big if you can put down a Girl Scout cookie to play a game, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, especially if they're thin mints. Mm. Yeah, those are my favorite. Yeah, me too. <laughs> We bought them. We just have this entire box of them by big box. I mean, not the little box, but the big box. They put all the little boxes in. Right. And uh, it's in our fridge, in our freezer, and we're just and it's like storing them up so we can eat them nice. for, until the next season comes around. Right. So you're never without them. That's pretty yes. and dangerous. <laughs> so, is there anything um, about gaming or the RPGs or tabletops that you haven't done yet that you're hoping to learn or be able to do in the future, or you just want to game more often? Gaming more often would definitely be fun, but really, I've always tried wanted to sort of try out or at least learn more about LARPing and that oh. because the whole acting thing is is definitely a big part that I like doing and. 
combining them both together sounds really cool for me. Yeah. Both gaming and acting. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever done any costuming with your game characters? Um, once when I actually did run a fairy tale game at a convention in Scarab in South Carolina, I brought a bunch of like fairy wings and we bought them and we brought them to the game and we gave, I handed them out to that. That was actually the one convention where I had like a lot more than the people I'd planned for want to jump in my game and play <laughs> because they had a really good kids track and all the kids were there and they just like, let's jump in this game. And I'm like, I don't have enough characters for this. <laughs> I just oh. create a few up on the spot there. Cool. Oh, that's good. It's so that kind of um, incorporating a little bit of um, uh, improv in there too, if you're making up characters on the spot. I'm I'm usually pretty good with between Fairy's Tale and and Savage Worlds, I've almost memorized most of the edges, hindrances, or skills that I can choose from mm-hmm. and pretty much just create my own character even without the book nearby. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Trinity. Yeah. We really appreciate um, you answering our questions for us today. It's been really helpful. Is is uh, your sister Beth available? Yeah, let me put her on. Great, Bethany. thank you. Okay, hello. Hello, Bethany. How are you doing today? Hi, Bethany. I'm good. How about you guys? We're doing good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show to talk with us. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Not if every day you get to do something like this with somebody. Yeah. Well, we get to do it more often than most people do. So we're, we're pretty thankful for that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's lots of fun. So can you tell us how old you are, Bethany? Well, I am 11 right now. Okay, right now. When's your birthday? Uh, August 18th, August- 2000. Well, if you're acting about, like, the day I was actually born, 2001. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so your birthday isn't coming up. It just passed. Yeah. All right. Well, happy belated (laughs) birthday to you. (laughs) So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about about yourself and about your your interest in gaming and what you like to play? Well, I like to play more of the type of games where you have this story, you're trying to do something. And sometimes I like playing those types of games that... If you stop at this point, then you can go on at a different time, a different place, and start it back up again. Oh, okay. I like being able to choose how to play my game, how to choose what attributes I like to do. So I like kind of creating my own character. Mm -hmm. And then exploring with that character in the world. Yeah. So I think, well, (laughs) I think I like GMing more than gaming with your actual character. It's fun to play the bad guy sometimes. <laughs> Make you go, why? <laughs> <laughs> so, how many characters do you have created right now? Do you know? Well, I run a sort of different type of game than most people would expect. I run a game which involves cats. We all play cats. Cats. Oh, that cool. the wild. Really. Yeah, wow, it's based cool. off a book series oh. that I loved, and when I found out about it, I was like, "Best day ever!" <laughs> <laughs> and so, who but, do you run the game with? Who plays? Usually, I play with many people that I've made friends with over all the time at conventions. Like, I've got so many friends from conventions. Every time that I see them, I'm like, "Um, um, what's your name again?" Sorry, I've got too many. (laughs) Can't remember them all. So you guys um, go to the conventions as a family then? Yes, most of the time we do. But when it's a very, very big convention, then mom and dad might leave us uh, with somebody to take care of us after. Oh, okay. 
But you uh, you enjoy going to the, some of the gaming conventions together, though. Oh, we love going to gaming conventions together. It just feels so nice to be able to hang out where you can do things that people won't mind at all that you do it, and you get to be with your family. Oh, cool. Yeah, can you give us an example of uh, uh, an event or a thing that you were doing that you know people don't mind you doing in a game con? Well, usually they don't mind me running a game because they sort of like it. When I have older people in the game, then they see it as a good chance that younger people are getting more into gaming and being able to do it and not be saying, like, why do I have to go today? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. So they're very encouraging then. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty neat. So do you feel like the gaming communities that you play in are pretty accepting places? Oh, yes. Everybody likes to be able to talk with each other, tell them about how their character might have a really cool move or be not that very good of a character or of what they think personally. But I think they know that they can talk about what they do and what they want to do mm-hmm. neat so tell us a little bit about like one of your one of your kitty characters that you play well i love playing a character named dove feather by the time that i'm done with the end of it it's if, since you update your character every time that you play in the system mm-hmm. then i've been playing it and <laughs> no matter what everybody else says i still since stuff went uh, the feather, I mean, is usually the one that I like to play the most as the GM. Mm. I always update her. So at the end, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you're awesome. You have this big list of skills that you can use and big old list. And some special things. So what are some of the yeah. special things that uh, the feather can do? There are listed, uh, well, sort of attributes that you can use. Mm-hmm as the knacks and the skills you just circle on the sheet plus one or plus two on there. Mm -hmm. If it's plus two, then that means that you've taken it two times. And then there's the different sort of, uh, there's strengths, smarts, and spirit. If you're a strengths sort of cat, and that basically you add your skill to your strengths. So if you're trying to use something that has strengths in it, like if a skill like bite it has strengths next to it, mm-hmm. meaning that you have to use strengths with it. There'll be, uh, let's say you have a plus one in strengths, then and you have a, a three in strengths, then you would have a four for bite. Mm. That's how it goes. Oh, interesting. But, but what she can do is, well, she can do all these assortment things. I don't have the character with me right now, but I can probably list off a few, like, well, one of her skills is ponder, mm. and she can swim, which is what no, most cats don't like to do. I was just going to say, you have a cat that can swim? I don't know. I, yeah, I have cats. In- I'm not sure they like that very much. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the book goes, there are four clans, Thunder Clan, Shallow Clan, River Clan, and Wind Clan. River Clan are the cats that can swim, and mm-hmm. nobody really likes what they catch, their prey, which is <laughs> fish all the time. <laughs> so somebody breaks the warrior code and goes and takes 
and hunts a fish on their territory, and the patrol comes by and says, well, if you caught it, then you must be able to eat it. They're kind of like, well, um, we don't really want to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And then you wonder why they even hunted it in the first place. Right, right. (laughs) That's pretty funny. What's your favorite part about creating a new character? I mean, do you like... Do you like creating and picking out their skills? Do you like thinking about what they look like? Yeah, because it specifically says on the front of the character sheet, it's blank on the back. It says that you can draw your cat on the back of the side. So I love to keep in mind about what they would look like and try to draw as best as I can on the back side. How, what I think, uh, what they would look like. Mm-hmm. Have you drawn a picture of Feather yet? Yes, I have. I have drawn multiple pictures of her on the back, and some people pitch in, and they like to draw pictures, too, with her. But most of the time, I keep this one sort of picture that kind of stands out with all the others. It's kind of big, and that's what people can use to base off it if they wanted to draw a picture. Neat. And what what does she look like? Like, what kind of markings does she have? Well, she has, like... A white chest, and she's gray all over except for that. <laughs> mm. So she's kind of simple for a cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still pretty though. I like gray cats. I like black cats. <laughs> One of my good friends had a black cat named Lucky. Mm-hmm. And what they call house cats, they call them kitty pets. Oh, <laughs> oh I like cool. that very and much. They all live in the forest, so they call themselves warriors. Warriors in training are called apprentices, and if they are still in the nursery then they're called kids you know Mm -hmm. and if they become a deputy then they go and if the leader dies then they become the leader adding star to the end of their name like one of the examples in the books is firestar so you you sort of um you you level up and and you have other sort of attributes that you get extra points or things for as well yeah i think by now my cat's an elder Elders are the ones that live in the elders' den, and everybody catches food for them and bring them to them. Nice. Well, Bethany, if somebody who had um, never gamed before and they were um, totally brand new to it, and they were to come up to you and say, "Well, what is, what is a gamer? Who you know? What kind of people game, or what would you call someone who games? Um, what would you say to them?" I would say that a gamer is a person that socializes with other people through games. Basically, going towards a table, maybe with a group of friends or somebody completely different that you don't know about them. And then in the end, coming out like you know almost all of that person. Oh, wow. That's a beautiful description. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's very nice. And it's sort of gaming is a way to learn about the people you, you know and your friends. Well, it's cool, Bethany. Thanks for talking to us today. We really appreciate uh, you and your sister Trinity uh, sharing your gaming experience with us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is uh, your mom Jody there? We'd like to talk to her next. Yeah, sure. Just wait for a second. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Regina? Yes. Was that the most beautiful description you've ever heard? (laughs) Yeah, I got a little chill, actually. Hello. Hello. Oh, your girls are charming, Jody. Oh, thank you. You know, every mother wants to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're just, they're adorable. I mean, they're, they're, they're like a couple of adults. I just want to sit down around the table with them and have tea and say, so tell me what's going on. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> well, they have a lot going on, just like any of us. So they would be able to talk your ear off then, too. <laughs> well, they're they're beautifully articulate. And I, I love that they're DMing their own games or GMing their own games already. I mean, that's that's just fantastic. Yeah, that was something that, you know, um, sometimes because we've been so involved, I feel like some people think we might have pushed them to do that. And that is not the case. <laughs> I mean, they, they really and honestly did want to run their games at a convention. And when Trinity ran her first game when she was nine, well, then boy, howdy, Bethany was going to run hers while she was still nine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> yep. So they offer they offer to run a game for every convention we go to. Nice. That's really fantastic. Well, we gave just a, a really real brief bio on you when we introduced the show when Trinity was online, and um, you, you've just got a, a really exciting history. But why don't you just give us a, a quick background on your gaming history? Oh, how did I get into gaming, you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, um, I am a natural blonde, and so I did not realize that the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon of the 80s uh, was about a game. I just really liked the cartoon, <laughs> and it took me until college to find out that that was actually a game that people played. Uh, so uh, I was very active in religious life at my college, and I was uh, president of the Lutheran Student Movement, and all of the other guys in my group would talk about their game sessions, and it just sounded so cool about what their characters were doing, so I begged them to let me play. Uh, and they were like, uh, you're a girl. <laughs> I'm like, well, so. <laughs> so finally, for one fall break, uh, I, you know, they, they let me play. Um, they handed me the elf character because, you know, well, if you're going to be a girl, you have to be an elf, right. obviously. Well, at least they didn't uh, hand, hand you like some sort of uh, skimpy chainmail armor to wear, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, these guys probably respected me too much for that or feared me. Well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, but, I mean, we just had so much fun. I mean, it was nonstop gaming that entire weekend. I mean, I would game till 5 o'clock in the morning, then go back to my dorm room and sleep for four hours, get up, go work a shift at, you know, the Blockbuster Music Store that I was working at, and then go straight back into gaming. So... <laughs> Oh, she was hooked fast. Yeah, I would take any time at all. Totally fast, yeah. Uh, and then after that, I was telling one of my sorority sisters um, how much fun I'd had playing the game. You know, D&D, &D, I think it was uh, 3.5. Maybe it was the one before that. I can't remember which. Um, and she was like, oh, you're a gamer? Well, you need to come try our GURPS game. I'm like, GURPS? What's that? <laughs> Generic universal role-playing system. And oh, they were they they were a much more mature group. Uh, it was my, you know, my my sorority sister who got me into it. Um, and I, she ended up being one of my lifelong, you know, friends for gaming, you know, and it was a group of um, you know, a couple of other people there that uh are that live in the area but didn't go to this to the college. So and they're still the people that we game with like almost all the time. Well, that's a, that's a longstanding community. 
Yeah, it is. That's that's nice. I love I love stories that I love hearing stories like that where the gaming's managed to keep people together because I think that's one of the the greatest strengths that gaming has. It really does. There was a time when we tried to quit gaming for a while and get together to do other things, but we still talked about gaming. <laughs> so we said, "Why don't we just go back and <laughs> let's just go back into gaming again?" Because that's what we just that's what we love to do the most. It really does create. Um, not just an event where people can can come together, but it it does give you something to talk about, common shared experiences. You can take a group of people. I, I've often done this at different parties because I usually have you know different sets of groups of friends or people that I know. You throw a deck of cards at somebody, even you know a set of dice, and all of a sudden you have a community event going on. You know, so it sort of naturally brings people together, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm always surprised by how you know people would never consider themselves gamers mm-hmm. but they are mm. <laughs> like for example uh i i also sing with a local um uh, professional chorus, the Hickory Choral Society. Uh, we have a concert this Sunday, actually. So, you know, it's just a crazy weekend for us, like usual. <laughs> uh, but the, this group, they have so much fun together doing just the craziest things. When we have our retreat, we have a theme party. Everybody goes all out with the costumes. They act in character. I mean, the, the, these people, <laughs> they love games and they love trying new things right. together like and I'm like, yep, you're all gamers. Yeah. Uh, no wonder I love you all. Yeah. <laughs> so given the, the personality of that group, then wh- how, why is it that you would call them gamers? So if I were to say, how do you define a gamer? How would they fall into that definition? Well, I think that what sets them apart as, and of course, I don't think it applies to all 120 of them, but, you know, kind of like if you're a fun person, you just enjoy doing new things. Mm-hmm. If somebody, you know, like you're talking about, throw a deck of cards out there. Um, I, I did an icebreaker this past uh, um, retreat that was based on a new game that's coming out, and I can't remember the name of it, but it'll be a board game released around Christmas, and it's about bursting into song you know, at, at an instant. And I kind of adapted that for our icebreaker and they all jumped on it. They said mm-hmm. that was probably one of the best icebreakers they've had in, you know, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so easy and so straightforward that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, it was, you know, I just basically took the concept of the game from what I saw online mm-hmm. and just adapted it for a quick little 15-minute competition between the basses, sopranos, altos, and tenors. Right. Yeah. Those altos, they killed us. <laughs> <laughs> being adventurous is, is kind of part of being a gamer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I know that there are definitely the grognards who like to stick to their one game. Right. Um, but but I think in general, most gamers want to try new aspects of their personality or, or try on something that's not them just for the fun of it. Um, and it all goes back into that that fun, that, right. that love of trying something new. Right. The sort of experimentation with, you know, uh, self-identity and, and other identity and how can I play with this and how can I incorporate some of myself? Some of what your girls were saying as they were talking about their characters. Yeah. Uh, well, we talk about that sometimes mm-hmm. because, I, uh, you know, when, when they have to GM the bully, 
situation. I think that it helps them understand any kind of a bully situation that they might run into at school. Right. Uh, mm. I've never heard of them having any problems, but I, you know, it couldn't hurt. Right. Right. Well, it's, I, I, I talked about that when I was writing as well, that gaming becomes that safe space where you can try out different approaches to problem solving that you can then try in different other places in your life, you know, um, a lot of people, a few people that I talked to mentioned how like running a guild on an MMO was a good test out for like management skills that they ended up using in, in the workplace as well. So, oh, I can definitely see that. Would you like to hear another character story as how, how it applies to the workplace? Sure, absolutely. Uh, That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so one of my um, one of my favorite characters that we ran a campaign with for like five years, something like that. So I really got to know this character. Uh, she was a warrior, you know, um, something that I am not. I'm not strong. I'm not tough. I'm not going to wade in there with, you know, my two axes, and, <laughs> you know, and, and intimidate people or I'm anything like me. that. <laughs> uh, but there was at one time I was working um, the front desk of a, of a hospital uh, and a person came in who had obviously been drinking, who was very belligerent and he was demanding to go up to see somebody else, you know, and <laughs> me personally, I cannot stand conflict. You know, I just, I run from it as much as I can, but I, I kind of drew on the mantle of that character and I held, stood my ground and I told him to get out or I call the police and, and he did, he just left. And then later, as I'm shaking and sitting down and the other people at the front desk are like, I can't believe you did that. And I said, I can't believe I did that either. <laughs> but I'm really glad that I did. And I could not have done that if I hadn't had the experience of trying it out in game. Fantastic. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I, I say that sometimes with, you know, with friends when they're going through difficult times, I'm like, you have to pull up your inner goddess, you know, or your inner warrior, you know, who's going to give you that strength to do the different things you need to do. And that's a, that's a great example of, you know, directly mapping it <laughs> from one place mm -hmm. to another. Yep. Well, you, you're involved in a whole lot of stuff now, Jody. You've got uh, Beautiful Brains, Books and Games, and you do a lot of uh, editing and RPG testing and stuff like that. How did you make the transition from your game playing days to it basically being your business? Oh, um, you know, I, I just I feel like things happen for a reason uh, and things just kind of take on a life of their own. So I, I was a contract grant writer. I worked on preparing grants for nonprofits uh, and I was known to be somewhat of a grammar Nazi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a friend of mine who had written uh, a book, um, Andy Hopp, who wrote the, the book Low Life, which is a Savage Worlds setting, uh, which is a fantastic setting. If you've never checked it out, it's literally been the end of the world. There are no more humans. All that are left are cockroaches, worms, uh, Twinkies, aliens, you, you name it, but you're playing the lowest of the life on, on that planet. It's just hilarious. Um, but anyway, so he asked me just, oh, I know what it was. I was at Gen Con and I was flipping through his manuscript and I started pointing out a few things that were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, how about if you just take that with you 
and, you know, mark it up and send me your notes. And so I did that. Uh, and I just had so much fun doing that, that I started asking around, you know, some of the other Savage Worlds uh, community people who are doing products, you know, would you like some, you know, like me to look that over for you? So that's just how it got started. And it kind of has had a snowball effect into other game systems. Um, I've even edited for a Polish company uh, when they did their English translation. So I eventually just quit the contract grant writing bit because nonprofits are pretty whiny sometimes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot less politics in gaming, as, yeah. as odd as that may seem. Right. Well, I, I think it's because everybody, every at least my experience so far of everybody who calls themselves a gamer or who's come on the show or who we've talked to at different cons and the experience I've had at the cons that I've gone to, everybody loves their gaming so much. They're so enthusiastic about it. Please share in this. I think the politics tend to fade away because the, the enthusiasm is so overwhelming. Um, they do, and it's not just politics. It's it's religion, too. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's any of those... Uh, barriers mm. um, that would normally divide a society. If, if um, you know, if, if a person came and sat down at a gaming table with me and said that they were homosexual, I don't think that that would make a person bat their eye at all. Mm-hmm. If anybody at the table, you know. So whereas any, if you did that at a restaurant where I live here, that would, you know, <laughs> and I'll probably not go over well. There would be an uncomfortable silence afterwards. Right, and people would have difficulty accepting who that person was because of that. Yeah, and I live in a rural area of North Carolina, so it's just they don't come into contact with a lot of people mm-hmm. of different, you know, religions and sexual orientations and that right, kind of thing. Right, the kind of diversity. I live near Portland, Oregon, so we have a lot of – not a lot. It's still a pretty homogenous area, but there's a little bit more diversity here than there have been in other rural places that I've lived to. So I can I can see how that would be different. Mm-hmm. If, you were to, if you were to try to develop a theory, Jody, about – why the gaming community is so encouraging and so accepting. I mean, because, I mean, if you were to look at at the worlds and the, the mythos of, of these games, they involve um, extensive numbers of rules and fantasy religions and fantasy politics. But everybody in the room seems to be on the same page and, like you said, very accepting. You, you got any theory as to why it works in that room? Well, not that I've given it any you know, thought before. So this is just coming off of the top of my head. Uh, But I think that that what it all comes down to is that we're used to separating who a person is from these type of qualifying characteristics that might, you know, be part of normal society. You know, for example, if you're playing a character that worships one type of religious, you know, fantasy mythology here, and they come across another character who worships something else, who cares, Mm -hmm. you know? So why would it matter if you're sitting down at the table with somebody who's maybe not a Christian and somebody who is a Christian? It doesn't matter. We're there for the game. And I'm I'm sitting here with you as a person. I'm not sitting here with you as your religious other. Right. Yeah. It's that's a good theory. Yeah, and the the gaming allows a, a bridge or um I, a bridge isn't even the right metaphor, um because I want something that that is more sort of um, um almost a tent <laughs> or an umbrella for everybody to come together under and and like like the campfire everybody goes to the campfire to hear the story or whatnot. It's the same thing for gaming. It gives you that thing that 
everybody is there working for. And if, you know, you're playing a cl- collaborative game where everybody's working together for a goal, you all have to come together and, lo- you know, look past or incorporate and accept who they are as they come to to that game. Yeah, and you're not making a but not normally. I mean, you would not normally be making a judgment call right. about how that person plays their character based on their political orientation. Right. You know. Yeah. It's it's not. It's yeah. Unless it's you know a game where that's part of what you're trying to to incorporate, and then it's the politics, like you said, of the game or the world rather than who you're voting for. Yeah. It's it's distant because right. it's not real. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it can be a metaphor for similar things that we do or similar issues that we have, but it's not that issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, one of the things that we definitely wanted to talk to you about today was uh, your involvement with gaming with your kids. And both you and your husband do that. And you told me a couple of stories offline that were just really wonderful. Um, tell me about the uh, gaming vacation you guys took. Oh, yes. Oh, how I want us to do that again. <laughs> uh, Okay, well, my husband's day job is in manufacturing, and so they have a tradition around here of being closed for the week of uh, Christmas and the week of the 4th of July. They don't really get any other vacation days, but we know that for that week, there are no obligations at work. Everything's closed. So um, so we, you know, we took off in our camper um, and went camping for a whole week. And since we were just going to be sitting in one place camping for the whole time, we decided that each of us would take one day out of the you know seven days that we were there. We just took four days, uh, and we would each run a game. So Trinity ran Fairy's Tale. Bethany ran her Warrior Cats adventure game. I ran a Savage World scenario uh, from the setting Wonderland No More, where you're all characters in Alice in Wonderland, oh, basically. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then my husband ran a, a, a game of Dragon Age. So it wasn't just different you know, games, it was different settings, mm-hmm. different game rules, different you know, characters. entirely. And mm-hmm. it, we were, I mean, we, we would go and do our hikes in the morning and then we'd come back and game, you know, it was too hot. Fourth of July, it's too hot to do anything. So we would just sit around. Um, uh, I admit we have a motor home with air conditioning. <laughs> so we would, <laughs> we would hide inside in the afternoons and play our games. And then, you know, when it cooled off, we'd go back outside and have a campfire. And <laughs> so, I mean, it was just such a perfect little snapshot to me of how we work together as a family and how important gaming is to us. It's just, it's, it's the best family time that we can have. Is that the most important aspect of it is just the uh, the family uh, unification time or are there some other good aspects about the, the gaming as as a family? Well, it's interesting to see how the kids play their characters, um, you know, and, and it's kind of a, a teaching opportunity for us, but it's not you know, not a lecture. It's not mm-hmm. you sitting down and saying, hey, you can't act that way and right. make them feel bad, you know. But like in Dragon Age, when they're playing their circle mages and I'm playing a rogue who's trying to steal stuff all the time. <laughs> and it's like, so I'm not the respectable one here. The two of them are the respected ones and they're supposed to talk to, you know, the people that we're getting our jobs from uh, as adventurers. Mm-hmm. Well, they start, you know, bickering because <laughs> they're kids and they'll do that and they're arguing. And I'm like, the mark is right there. Don't argue in front of the mark. <laughs> oh, nice. 
<laughs> you know, it's just kind of a fun way to point out that, look, if you're in a position of authority here, don't tear yourself apart yeah, like that. You need to stand strong. Yeah, don't blow it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you told me another story, too, and I can't remember the context, but it was where you took a game um, to the girls' school, a school event. Yeah. 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 Tell me, remind me about how that came about. Okay. Well, uh, the kids are only allowed to have a certain number of days uh, out of school each year um, before they'll start sending us to truancy court. And we do a lot of conventions and we're always out of school for that. Thankfully, the girls are very healthy. They haven't had a sick day in years, but they'll still miss more than 10 days of school or so just going to all the conventions that we go to for beautiful brains and just for fun. So, um, uh, so the principal asked me, he said, well, I know you guys are gaming and you're doing this stuff. So do you mind bringing your games to our fifth grade picnic? Um, they were looking for some kind of cost cutting ways to celebrate the fifth graders who were kind of graduating to go to the middle school next year. So they said, can you bring your games and we're just going to rent a inflatable jump house and you know, that'll pretty much be it for the kids. You know, they just got to hang out outside for a little bit. I set up a table to run a Savage Worlds demo of um, Jedi pa- uh, Padawans that were out on a mission. Trinity set up a table to run some demos of Fairy's Tale, and Bethany ran some demos of um, the Warrior Cats adventure game. Uh, and it was just amazing to me that here's the entire fifth grade, like, maybe some 150, 200 kids at the most who were so enthusiastic about, I mean, of course they're having kind of time off from school. It's the end of the school year and they're in a good mood anyways, but they jumped on that gaming. Like it was nobody's business. They would go and jump on the bounce house a little bit, go get a drink of water and then come either play in a game or watch the games. Mm. So I was not prepared (laughs) for that much attention. I only had uh, eight players and they all, I mean, eight character character sheets out and they were all the same character. So I would know what, you know, what die type they needed to roll next and that kind of thing. So they would, I mean, they were hot seating where one kid would be playing the character. If they left to go get some water or go jump in the bounce house for five minutes, somebody else would step up and keep playing their character. Oh, wow. It was just amazing to me because we think of Savage Worlds as, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's great for kids, but it's a little bit crunchier than some of the systems that are out there expressly for children. But just the light bulbs that went on. Uh, for example, in Savage Worlds, you use cards for initiative um, and you never have a tie that way, you know, So it's, and everybody knows when you're going. Mm-hmm. So when you lay the cards out there, that's how you can tell. Okay, that person's going next. We count down ace down to two. Well, if you get the joker, you get plus two to anything you're doing, plus two to hit, plus two to damage, and you can go whenever you want. So I laid down a joker in front of this one boy, and I said, this is what you get. And I explained what that card does. And he goes, oh, so I can run and still, you know, use my lightsaber, and I won't get that negative two for having run. And I'm like, uh Yes, that's dude. We have 35 year olds who can't figure that out this quickly as you. (laughs) It was just amazing to me how quickly they grasped, you know, the rules of the game, the setting, of course. They all they've all seen Star Wars, right? You know, 
they they just they just really jumped into it. Yeah, they um, can sort of and then we did. Us. Yeah, and then we did uh, basically the same thing for Bethany's year because the girls are back-to-back. So for two years in a row, we did the fifth-grade picnic, and I don't know if they're going to ask us back this year now that I don't have any kids at the elementary school, but I'd be happy to go. It was just such a great experience. That's really neat. I think a lot of times people underestimate kids <laughs> and and when they're learning especially when they're learning these systems that we think are so complicated when they when they learn them young i think they it's a real strength for them so I, i'm not surprised to hear they picked up so quickly on on what they were doing and how to do it in the game yeah and i mean for example pathfinder their beginner box oh i just absolutely love that as a here's a box you can hand it to any kid mm-hmm. who's you know, 12 or older, basically. And if they're, you know, advanced readers, hand it to them younger. Right. Um, and they they can open up that box and figure out how to play it. And not that that was my experience growing up, but for a lot of people, they just got the Dungeons and Dragons box set and right. figured it out on their own. And so much of what kids are doing nowadays is so structured. They just don't have the time to do that. Right. But I feel like the Pathfinder Beginner Box does a really good job of getting kids to figure it out and be excited about doing that on their own. Right. Um, I know Trinity was talking about Scarab, which is a convention in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, that we enjoy going to every January. So I hope everybody will come that's listening. Um, and uh, we saw that convention some a group of 10 to 12 year old girls and Bethany was there too so eight eight years old to 12 years old girls opening up this box running the adventure out of the box you know using the Mm. pre-made characters and then they had to quit their game because their table was spoken for the next game slot so they had to quit and not like an hour or two later one of the other girls came up and said "Ooh, hey guys grab your characters I know where we're going next I'm GMing the next session (laughs) That's fantastic. I'm just like, wow, really? And yes, this is all girls. There right. were no boys at that table. Nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's the other thing. You know, like you're talking about how people will often not call themselves gamers. And, you know, we're un- maybe as- underestimating the abilities kids have to jump in and learn a game. I think that definitely happens a lot with women gamers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, they're girls and they're interested in all this fantasy stuff. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> Yeah, so you saw a pretty even interest with the um, the the fifth grader game when you took the games between the little the girls and the boys. Oh yes, I didn't see any, you know, any difference. There was no discrimination of well, girls don't want to play this game. No, it was, and I think it helped that it was, you know, me a woman running the game, and mm-hmm. both of my daughters yeah. were also running games. Right. I think maybe if there had been only boys out there, if my husband and some boys had been out there running games, maybe there would have been a stigma about it. But no, I didn't see any. Yeah. The the last time we talked, you said something about being an advocate for uh, trying to get kids involved in gaming. Yes. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. Um, at every convention that we go to, uh, we put ourselves out there um, as doing a panel on getting children into gaming. Really, it just comes down to let them try it because there are so many people who just don't want to take the time because I just feel like, you know, everything is so overworked. And if you're a parent, I mean, 
the kids' room is a mess. You just have to accept that something is going to slide if you're going to make time for gaming. Mm-hmm. If I waited till the girls had their room clean, forget it. It never happened. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, uh, there's just so much going on today that you just have to make it a priority. Right. And, you know, of course, that's true with anything for your health, your fitness. You have to make it a priority if it's going to happen. But, you know, the hardest part about getting kids into gaming is scheduling the time for it. Right. That's it. The kids are happy to do it. They want to spend time with their parents or with other adults who are doing it. If it becomes kids that are running their own games for their friends, you know, that's still social interaction. Mm-hmm. And we want to encourage that. So there's no barrier to it other than time. Right. Really. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to. Well, I think I think the stories that your girls told today and the stories that you've shared with us are beautiful examples of e- exactly how expansive gaming can be. Yeah. N- not just in terms of the characters and the worlds that they're able to step into, because if we think about Trinity talking about fairies and Bethany talking about cats. I mean, that's expansive in and of itself, the different types of games that they can play. But they're creating their own characters. They're running their own games. They're learning how to interact with people. And it's very social and and, and very powerfully social in, in getting groups of people together in those things. So I think these are great yeah. examples of all of that, all of the good that can come from this. Thank you. Sure. And and if I if I don't mind, can I can I say something about our kids track that's coming up at Mace? Absolutely. Oh, that'd be Go awesome. Okay. We've been going to the Mace convention, M A C E, uh, in November every year for at least the past 15 16 years. Because <laughs> it happens to be on the weekend of our anniversary and that was how we used to celebrate our anniversary was to go to a convention. So, <laughs> so we've been working with those people for such a long time and they asked me to coordinate a kids track for this coming convention. So it's only in 3 weeks. Um uh, from the time of our recording right now. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, oh my gosh, it, it's it's like people have come out of the woodwork. I'm, I'm not familiar right now with what they do at, say, Origins or Gen Con, mm-hmm. but we have 16 games on the agenda wow. for the kids track. Uh, we have our own room for the kids to play in, and we've had to move some of the games out of that room to a big kids table (laughs) because these are six and these aren't just 16 varieties of savage worlds. They're actually 16 different types of games. Wow. Everything Mm. from a settlers of Catan and magic, the gathering, but to the savage worlds, of course, my girls will be running their games. I couldn't tell them no. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so it's just mind boggling to me. I'm, I'm actually afraid that we won't have as many kids there as, we need <laughs> to make the games happen but if you can't you know if we don't provide it then we'll never have anything there for the kids so exactly. yeah that's pretty awesome yeah. we'll put some links up on the blog yeah. about mace yeah definitely thank you yeah well thank well, you well we really appreciate you guys being on the yeah. show yeah this was great and great insights thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your stories with us it's fantastic well thank you for having us it's been an honor Thanks so much for Jody Black, Bethany, and Trinity for being on our show today. We'll have links on our blog to Beautiful, beautiful Brains, Books, and Games, and the uh, Mace Con and a uh, bunch of other stuff we talked about today. What do you say?
Facebook and Twitter, will the term gamer become obsolete? And I was inspired to ask this question because one of my university colleagues um, asked it to me the other day. Uh, she had been listening to episode 28, Game Culture 101, and then was watching her two-year-old daughter playing a game on her iPhone. And she thought about our episode, which, of course, delighted me, and said that maybe mobile games were going to make all of us gamers because gaming is so easily accessible now. Yeah, which we've talked about before. Yeah, which we've totally talked about how the platforms are changing gaming in general. And I was really intrigued by this question because we spend a lot of time on the show asking people and talking about what it means to be a gamer. So I decided to ask you guys because our community always gives the most amazing feedback on these questions. And of course, I was not disappointed with this question at all. <laughs> no, it, and it opened it opened up a whole lot of thinking, which is what I like about the question. Me too. On Twitter, at A.B. Horse and Cat, says the term will not become obsolete. Quote, I believe all people and a fair number of animals are gamers and to a greater extent. We make up games almost instinctively. I go as far to say it's part of our problem-solving survival mechanism. If there's nothing to solve, create a game. Now, Regina, is this something that we've pointed... This is something we've pointed out before. right. Gaming is a tried and true learning tool. Absolutely. But if everyone is a gamer, aren't there distinctions in some way, a, a gaming culture language that we still need to maintain? Absolutely. I think I think the culture will still remain. I, I think this actually ties a little bit to the discussions we're seeing on the web now about the prevalence of geek culture. And hmm, yeah. if we want to reference back to, you know, my internet hero, Felicia Day, talking about um, in this, the, the last Guild song, um, I'm the one who's cool. Right. It, it's changing. The, the definitions of what's cool are, are, you know, malleable and changeable and, you know, and move and language moves. And, and gamer is one of those terms that's going to be changing, you know, just as much with the platforms as with who's playing. The reason why it's significant to our conversations here is because of something that Jessica Marzen brought up in her episode where she said, you know, these are people who self-define themselves as gamers. And that's a big distinction between when you claim a term yourself right. and when somebody assigns it to you. There's a big difference there. Yeah, because in both situations, it depends on the context. Right. I mean... You can have someone say, I mean, you know, acting classes do it all the time. It's like, you're just a gamer. Right. You say, well, you're a gamer. Right. And and depending on what you hear, how often you hear it or what context you hear it in, you could say, you, 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 we, well, we've even talked to people who have said, well, you know, I don't say it out loud. I don't right. tell, you right. know, people I'm a gamer. Right. Or you get other people who are, who are extremely proud of it. Exactly. Who who wear it as a mantle, you know, who are very proud and who write dissertations about it because they love it so much. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we know we know a few people. Like we know that. a few people like that now. So it's not just me. <laughs> but but it is it does make a difference. It's the same thing when I talked in the dissertation and I've talked on the website, you know, many years ago now when I was first sort of struggling with the terms for the dissertation you know, yes, we're game on girl. There, there's something about using the term girl or gamer girl or something like that 
that's more okay when you say it yourself when you when you're self-defining yeah. as when yes. somebody says you know oh you're such a girl or yes calls you girl as a dismissive term you know hey girl you know just like hey boy it's the same thing yeah you know that when someone else uses it it changes the meaning so i think there will probably always be people who call themselves gamers but that wasn't really her question necessarily her question was are we going to all become gamers like in one way or another because it's so much more accessible for us you know, one of the, the other Twitter responses, Furious Buddha at Kofi Jamal, brings it back to the definition of gamer. Right. They say, I believe if you play games, you're a gamer. The days of if you play XYZ, then you're a gamer are over. Partly because there are so many more ways and more types to play. It's just not the old boys club anymore. And I agree with this. Yes. But as we've seen on the show, people who play Bejeweled, who play Words with Friends, everybody being a gamer, don't consider themselves gamers. And what's really interesting, and I'll, I'll link to this on the site, but um, one of our other commenters on the Facebook page who we're going to share um, feedback from, Fulfa Noofpod, sent me a link this morning about a whole series of ads that Nintendo has right now for the DS with some pretty, you know, famous younger women celebrities like, um, oh God, I'm blanking, Gabrielle from um, the Olympics. I can't think of her last name right now. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. And the tagline in those ads is, I'm not a gamer. On my DS, I'm a, insert a descriptor here. Um, a designer, an artist and, and other, you know, another thing other than I'm a gamer. Oh, that's fascinating. (laughs) Isn't it though? (laughs) So they're basing a whole ad campaign on defining the people who play on a DS against sort of our standard stereotype definition of a gamer, which I have kind of an issue with. <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, it brings up one of the other thoughts I was having about this question in in the fact that marketing and innovation in gaming, and right. especially market marketing, is really going to drive the terminology. Right, right. Like how we're because, changing. I mean, yeah. yeah, because I mean, it wasn't that long ago that people had no clue what apps were. Exactly. And, and we're totally confused and, um, you know, befuddled at the concept of, you know, using an app on a phone or on your computer or anything like that. It was a completely different thing. And now it's just a totally common culture. You know, there's an app for that. Yeah, let's go ahead and... Um, let me read that quote. Okay. And Fulfa Nopod, is that right? Uh, no, I'm terrible. I should leave all the English to you. <laughs> uh, that would be, that. that is my interpretation as well. Fulfa Nopod, yeah. Okay. All apologies always come as a disclaimer from <laughs> Rhonda on this show. Yeah, go ahead and send your complaints, but it's just a blanket apology. <laughs> they say... There will always be the digital gamer, and there will always be a certain number of people who will never fully embrace or understand the digital medium. Cards, dice, games of chance have been around long enough to break the boundaries. If video games still exist in 300 years, I expect they will do the same, but it's not around the corner. 
Now, what is it about this that you like? Because I had I had a couple of issues with uh, some of her observations. Or his, uh, his observations. Um, I like the idea of the continuation of gaming and, and of acknowledging that gaming is something that's not necessarily new, which is which is, you know, a theme that something that we sort of go back to and talk yeah. about. It's very um, ageless. Yeah, it, it's very ageless. And the acknowledgement that digital games are are new and may not continue. I mean, as much as we love our video games, there's nothing to say that in the future it's going to become completely obsolete. Um, I always I, I laugh when I watch uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I think about the fact that we're watching them on TV, and yet they don't have TV in that world anymore, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's that, and so I would kind of compare it to that. It, it you know three three hundred years is a long time, and we're talking about gaming's been around for thirty forty years. So you know, digital gaming's been around for thirty right. or forty years, and in, in thirty or forty years ago, it was a very small number of people who had access to it. Uh, so so I, I like the idea that there is a continuation of gaming, and and like Ab Horson's cat said, it's it's an instinct. It's just part of it's part of human nature, yeah. essentially. Yeah. You know that that we that we game, that we want to play, that it's a way we engage. We can tie that back to our pop culture segment as as well. It's a bonding, you know, it's a bonding for Penny and Leonard and Sheldon and Amy to to game together. Even though they split off into, you know, gender separated groups, it's still a bonding experience for all of them to be there together gaming. So do you think that's what he was talking about then when he said if if the games are around 300 years from now that it's possible that digital gaming will not be the way we will be gaming um i'm not oh god i totally just blanked can you just give me that question no that's okay (laughs) let me me think about the question anyway Um, (laughs) because i i think that I mean, I think that gaming will still be around. Will video gaming still be around? I think is the question. Maybe. Yes. I don't. Sa- yeah. He says if video games still exist. Right. Right. And I guess that part of the que- that part of the statement I didn't consider. I, I guess I took it as a foregone conclusion that that video games have not even hit their stride. Yeah, and I I would agree with that too. That that I it's still a very new medium that we're experiencing and exploring. I mean, the novel is just over 100 years old. And we're still, it's established in terms of being a medium. But there's still surprising things that are happening. There's still new things. There's still stories that can be told. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, gaming's on its way out by any stretch of the imagination. But I have no idea what it might look like 100 years from now. I'm not very a very good forethinker. <laughs> I just cannot imagine it not being digitized in some way. Right. Well, I I don't I have no idea or or how the digital, you know, mediums are going to change. If we look at just take the last 30 years of gaming. When you got your first Atari or you, or you played on a friend's first Atari and you were holding that joystick in your hand and it had one button and a stick you were controlling. Yeah. Think about the fact that it has been 30 years and now instead of holding that joystick in your hand and the one button you're controlling an entire world on a screen you touch with your finger. Right. I mean, if that much change has happened and has been frankly driven by gaming, 
in a lot of for a lot of reasons. I mean, communication is important, yes, but really the thing that drives technology, one of the things that drives technology, I won't say the only thing that drives the development of technology. But gaming is pretty big. I mean, in terms of graphics and digital graphics, gaming is definitely on the forefront of all that, video gaming. So well, just just 30 years we've gone from that. Imagine what another 30 years as we get more and more sophisticated is going to do. Well, and it gets more prevalent. Yes, I mean, exactly. all, all the, the industries are just continuously producing hardware that makes it easier and easier and easier for people to game. Right. Yeah. I mean, kids are playing games on the iPhone. It's just going to be a natural thing to them that they will be doing things electronically, the oh, generation sure. coming up. I read an article a couple of years ago that was talking about how siblings aren't even in the same technological generation anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Aren't in the same technological generation because so much changes so quickly. And uh, Frontline did uh, Digital Nation, you know, several years ago, and their definitions in that were um, digital immigrants, which would be, you know, sort of our generation, those of us who who grew up on the verge of of games and, and digital technologies becoming as prevalent as they are in first world countries now are immigrants. We moved into it. The kids that are born now are digital natives. Yeah. They're born into this culture and it is changing so rapidly that you have, you know, I've seen it with my nephews. My, you know, three-year-old nephew can control more stuff on the Xbox than I know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he's three. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. When you think about the science involved in that, a three-year-old just picks that up. Yeah. So in, in those terms, you know, is he a gamer? Oh, my goodness. That kid can play Plants vs. Zombies like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> He's three. He's three. And he can totally play that game without without help. He can, he tells the adults to play with him how to play, what to do. Well, I want to go back to the commercial you were talking about, the the Nintendo commercial. You said you had issues with it. What what are your issues? Well, I, I don't like anything. I don't like either or. So yeah, at all, you know, we've talked about that before. I don't like when it's, you know, you're one or the other. And so defining against, like, I understand why they want to reach a group of people who wouldn't call themselves gamers. Yes, I get that. And I think that's great because I think that gaming can be a very engaging and very fun thing for a lot of people. I don't like that we have to define against something, because yes. it's it's disrespecting everybody else who's in that group, who, by the way, are your core consumers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that would be where my issue comes from it, that we have to push this away in order to engage this other group of people. You don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be either or. You can be both and. Well, if we've learned anything today, we've learned that our listeners and Regina are much better at at thinking a hundred years ahead than I am. <laughs> and that, we'll leave all of those. If you asked me a year ago, if I would have been producing a podcast, I would have said, what are you talking about? So I don't know exactly how good I am sometimes. I have never been good theoretically. So I'll, I'll just let you guys school me and I'll just be amazed. <laughs> so you can see how we appreciate all of your feedback and the community of conversation that we have. Anytime we talk on Twitter about our Twitter uh, question, we use the hashtag GOGChat. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R H O R H O O M. Or you can read my tech blog at droolonthefrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Z's, as I'm known on Twitter. Very, very many thanks to Jody Black and her fabulous daughters, Bethany and Trinity, for joining us on the show today. We really had a fabulous time talking to them. And I'm a little intimidated now because if I ever do want to DM a game, I feel like the bar has been set like yeah, no kidding. sky high by these kids. Like, seriously. <laughs> so please make sure to go and check out um, beautifulbrains.com or beautifulbrains books, books and games. Yes, correct. Yes.com and check out their site and check out all the exciting stuff they have going on some fantastic stuff for you guys there game on girl is available on itunes and stitcher streaming these links along with references made in the show can be found on our website gameongirl.com and you can leave comments and leave us feedback there as well this podcast is edited with audacity and the theme song good day by triple fox is used under creative commons attribution license thanks for listening and until next time game on Thank you.